Hey, Rebecca, my name's Emily and I'm 23 years old. I'm a young woman growing into a superwoman myself, slowly but surely. You are one of my favorite designers, influencers, and podcasters, aka I can't wait for my first promotion so I can buy all the Rebecca Minkoff things. As a young financial services professional, I was very inspired by the Sally Krawcheck episode and just finished listening to the Nicole Lappin episode, which I really enjoyed. Today, I read that you're an investor in Danielle Bernstein's new company, MoAssist. Danielle is my favorite influencer, and it would be my literal dream episode if you had Danielle and Mo on your podcast. You are three boss bitches, and I would love to hear your perspectives on a transforming industry. I think we could all benefit from that conversation. Thank you for inspiring me every week with a new perspective from someone blazing her way through this world. This podcast is seriously helping to shape me as I grow, and I couldn't be more grateful. Thank you for creating this platform. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. I'm with Karen Khan, the CEO and founder of iFund Women, a company I talk about a lot. Yes, you do, because you're an investor <laughs> and a huge supporter of women-run businesses. I'm an investor, which would you would think I would talk about it a lot because of that, but I just talk about it because I'm like, finally, someone who provides access to capital for women that's not a VC. I know, because most of us will not raise VC. And shouldn't. And shouldn't. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I sometimes we've raised VC and sometimes I have a fantasy about just having a really great growing business that got there on its own without needing VC yeah. capital. Okay. It's hard to get, it's hard to do that if you want a growing scaling business. Right. And um, we have to have technology that people can use really easily to raise capital and get coaching and all the things they do on iPhone Women. But yeah. I have dreams of like what life was like before I had VC investors and it was some sweet, sweet times. <laughs> <laughs> so so that people don't go, I don't even know what iPhone Women is. Can you tell us what is iPhone Women and then we'll go into your, your backstory. Yeah. So iPhone Women is a startup funding platform designed specifically for female entrepreneurs and the problem that we're working on solving is probably something that all of your listeners can relate to because you talk about entrepreneurship and raising capital so much on the show, which is what I love, is that only 1% of all companies, regardless of the gender of the founder, will ever raise venture capital. It's only 1%. So what do the other 99% of us do? We tend to max out our credit cards. Done that. Been there, done that. Or we try to take out loans from family and friends, or we try to take out a bank loan and we just fundamentally believe that nobody should go into debt funding their earliest days of their startup. And that's what ends up happening. So, you know, and for women, whether we want to admit it or not, the funding gap problem is not just about the direct access to capital. Of course, most women will tell you that the lack of access to capital is the number one barrier to them starting up. But half of women will also tell you that the lack of access to coaches and mentors to literally show you how to do it. Because I don't know about you, I had no idea how to run a startup or a business when I first started I at know, all. I still don't. Yeah, it's it's exactly. <laughs> so you learn and you fail. And then you. what we do is we pass along the information to our sisters kind of co coming behind us. 
as part of our coaching program. So, and then the lack of access to a community of startup sisters in the hustle is also a big barrier to getting your business off the ground. And I think it's something we take for granted, especially here in New York or LA or really anywhere there's a wing where ladies can get together or a Hey Mama chapter or any of these awesome entrepreneurial women communities that we all belong to. We uh, take them for granted in the bubble. And most women entrepreneurs, they're solopreneurs, they're grinding away from their house. They're starting their own thing from their passion and they're racking up credit card bills. They're making decisions in a bubble. And so iFundWomen is really a funding community that gives you access to coaches and mentors and a community and also capital because it's going to take all that for us to get there. A hundred percent. And I love also that some people who maybe don't need to raise money as much are also utilizing it as a marketing platform to just like awareness of a company or getting, you know, luminary, getting, selling memberships, right. As, as a form of raising capital, but then she launched with a couple hundred members. I just think it's a fascinating way to use crowdfunding to also get the word out about your product. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of myths around crowdfunding and we, there's lots of reasons why smart entrepreneurs crowdfund. Obviously marketing is a great reason to crowdfund. Crowdfunding is really just sales. It's sales and marketing. It's monetizing a product or service. And we all have stuff to monetize. So it's really the people that are the best at crowdfunding are the sellers and the marketers who can go out and hustle. But people do crowdfunding to get press and buzz. Um, We have a company here in New York. I don't know if you know about Listen Bar or the Booze Free Bar. Booze Free Bars are like a big thing now. What is Booze Free Bar? Like an alcohol-free bar. Wow. It's totally cool. It's called Listen Bar. It's in Brooklyn. So she had her space and she was just absolutely crowdfunding for the buzz in the press. And she ended up on Good Morning America, in the New York Times, in the journal. She really had a specific press strategy and she used crowdfunding to kind of activate that. So sales, marketing, press, R&D, it's interesting. We actually have some Fortune 1000 brands who are doing R&D on iPhone Women. What is a Fortune 1000 brand? Procter & Gamble brand. Okay. Or a Unilever brand. They've got, you know, all Does thousands it, of brands underneath their their big you know, umbrella. corporate umbrella. Okay. And um, like GE crowdfunded. to see for our, They do it for R&D, research and development, to see if customers uh, will be interested in a new product. Mm-hmm. But really, it's for marketing and buzz. Totally. So you mentioned that you were at Google for 10 years. Yeah. How big was Google when you started? And how big was it when you left? And what did you do there? So I was employee number 213. Wow. When I left, I think there were 60,000 people. Holy shit. Holy shit. Thank you, Larry and Sergey, <laughs> for all of my many riches. <laughs> and when I got there, I was hired as a salesperson, an account executive, and my territory was New England and Canada. Just Canada. The country of Canada. <laughs> they were like, we need somebody to call in all the ad agencies and all of the brands and advertisers literally in New England, B2B, B2C, tech, consumer, everything from like Colgate to, you know, super wonk IBM. And you had to basically convince them that they should advertise on this place called Google. Yeah. And it was these little crappy search ads, like text. I remember this. And they were, there was no auction. There was no AdWords. So we had a human in Mountain View. We would build keyword lists in Excel and I called on Canada, and in Canada were all the porn uh, producers. Nice. That would those are my those are my homies, <laughs> and I had to build their keyword lists. 
it was, I mean, that's frightening. I, I can't, you know, looking back, it's probably like, I probably illegal or probably against some HR policy that like a young 26 year old woman should not, be, or any person, frankly, right. shouldn't, but I thought it was fun. I actually like really got into it. I'm very creative <laughs> when it comes to uh, wordsmithing. Uh, yeah. Keywords. Wow. Wow. So yeah. So I built porn keyword lists and then we would go and have to send the list in Excel out to Mountain View. And this guy named Howman, he would look in the inventory, literally so old school and say like, okay, we've got uh, 10,000 impressions on doggy style. <laughs> that was the that was the least offensive thing that I could think of in my brain. I know. I was like, what is she gonna I say know, right now? I know, I know. Yes. Doggy okay, style so is okay. Yeah, doggy yeah. style is fine. So there was ten thousand searches on that, so I could sell that. Right. And I would build these massive keyword lists. Wow. That's where I started. You I I mean, knowing you, you're a very strong woman who seems to take no bullshit. But did you ever feel like there was a man's club? Oh, definitely. And did you have tough situations within oh, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So many. Share. You know, I wasn't super aware of gender dynamics, to be honest, early in my career. And I think that we probably, most of us feel that way before this era of, you know, Me Too and people being able to speak up and have our, our voices heard and feel comfortable speaking our truth. We were all just like programmed to shut the fuck up about it. Right. And not talk about it. So I think in a way, I really was not attuned to gender dynamics. I'm kind of a pretty masculine uh, feminist person. I'm a masculine woman. I was a tomboy, super into athletics, like not super girly, but I lo- I'm very feminine and I love like girl things. But I just always played with the boys and never really thought about it. So gender didn't really come into my direct lens until I worked at Google. There were lots of times at Google when I felt my gender was not super helpful. One of them was during a performance review. So I had won two operating committee awards. OC awards at Google are given to the top like half a percent in the company. And it's a big deal. And I've earned two of them while I was there. I was a huge performer, always got bonuses, raises, promotions, made a ton of money, like had an unbelievable career there always performed. And I was always on sales. So it was quantifiable. If there was no, you know, is she doing well? Is she not doing well? It was just about the numbers. And I always could bring the numbers in. And I'll never forget going into a performance review with a, my male um, boss. And I just like crushed the quarter. So I go into the performance review, like, you know, this is going to be- you got this. Like, yeah. Cause I did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hello, the proof is in the paycheck. Right. And um, I was managing, it was, I was a first time manager and I was a manager of a team of people, a pod. And my boss said to me, he gave me the management sandwich. Do you know what the management sandwich is? No. So when you have bad feedback to give someone, you got to start with a positive. I've heard it's like the polite sandwich. Exactly. Or the Oreo. Right. You know, depending on what part of the Oreo you like, but they give you the hard feedback, uh, the good feedback, then the hard feedback, then they end with a positive. A little slap on the tushy. Totally. So (laughs) seriously, he didn't do that. So it was like, Karen, you crushed it this quarter. You're killing it. Like never leave. You're amazing. Then it was like, So I think that your direct reports feel that your voice is too low and you're too direct with your feedback. And if you could work on your, just like the tone of your voice, if you could make it a little bit less deep and make it sound a little less harsh, that would really, really help you in your career. Whoa. But keep doing the good work. Keep bringing in those numbers. And I was like, 
at first, and it didn't even hit me that that was a super sexist thing to say. Right. Because I was young. I was in my late 20s and I was, I was just shocked by it. And I was like, how do I do that? I actually, for a while, tried to change the tone of my voice. Right. I was like, do I, how do I do that? Am I like, I don't know. It was, it's a, <laughs> it's a struggle. You're seeing me struggle doing it. But I tried. Wow. Yeah. I think it was Claire Wasserman, many years later, who's the founder of Ladies Get Paid. I was telling this story to her. She's like, that's so sexist. I'm like, yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. I just didn't realize it back then. Totally. I've had some people who shall remain anonymous in our board meetings. They would say, just act pretty. <laughs> How do you do that? I don't know. Act pretty. I was like, oh, okay. Is that code for acting dumb? <laughs> <laughs> or compl- or complicit or yeah, right? kind and sweet so and how women up. are supposed to act. Yeah. It's so messed up. I know. Yeah. When that happens, I just bring out my pump and I start pumping in the meeting. You should just <laughs> squeeze your boob and shoot breast milk right in their eye. <laughs> yes. I bet it stings, especially if they're wearing no, contacts. No, it actually cures uh, pink eye. Oh my gosh. I've now done it on two, my husband and my best friend. I shot milk into their eye and it, and it it cures it. Okay. Well, my daughter has pink eye today, so, so I, I may can, need I a can. little of your boob juice. <laughs> I'm so serious. Hopefully you're still pumping. I am. Okay. So you are at Google. You're at YouTube. This is laying a very strong foundation with sales background technology. Yep. Then what happens? You're like, I have a great idea. Goodbye. I'm going to well, cash in my stock. No. Okay. I had a great idea that I wanted to do at YouTube. So When I was at YouTube, I was responsible for monetizing the big creators. And back in 2006, when Google acquired YouTube, the endemic YouTubers were, you know, young Cali dudes on skateboards or gamers. It was all just like, you know, young weirdos. It's, I mean, you know, to each his own, whatever. It was a demo. Totally. But the demo was, you know, teenage boys and the people that create for them. And so I was in charge of doing mega deals, eight-figure ad deals for these little boys. And it was in that moment where I was like, okay, this is like not what I need to be doing with my life. Like I need to be making money for women, creating economic opportunities for women. So I started to stay up night after night after night and just go through the YouTube library of quote unquote monetizable content. So it was content that, you know, ads could be run against that was premium enough in the YouTube world. I'm using bunny quotes um, to be sold. And that was before the days of the, you know, YouTube makeup artists or the haulers. It was before the, you know, Michelle Fons and the Bethany Modas of the world started to come up on YouTube. So there were really no female creators with quote unquote scale, which is what you need in order to sell ads on the internet. You need scale. You need a lot of impressions and a lot of eyeballs so you can sell them to advertisers. Right. So there just wasn't a group or a collective of female creators that I could call together and sell to my brands. And so my idea was I wanted to start YouTube for women, but I wanted to start YouTube for women with the trolls because what was also happening was if you would YouTube or Google, you know, a woman's name or a creator's name, it would the words after it would be like death threat or rape or, you know, the comment sections were full of misogyny and rape culture and just it was the disgusting early days of YouTube, like way before Susan Wojcicki, who's now the CEO, took over way before there was any supervision. It was being run by the two original dudes who created YouTube. So it was just the Wild West. Women were 
not valued at all on YouTube, but it's certainly not given a safe space to like create their videos and have conversations with their community without being literally uh, threatened and attacked. So my idea that I brought to my boss at the time, it was my 10 year anniversary at Google. And I was get I was getting a little bored. Um, so, you know, when I'm bored, I like to invent things and create stuff. So I went to my boss and I said, hey, I've got an idea. My idea was that we should go through the entire YouTube library and find all of the monetizable videos made by women and literally put a physical stamp on top of the video player, like some cute little seal in the corner that said created by a woman or female created or whatever it is, This and bundle it all up together, quintuple the price, and go sell it to any number of the brands who wanted to invest in female creators because there were tons of them. Right. I was calling on the CPG business. So it was like Unilever and Pepsi and Coke and Procter & Gamble. So all of those brands were craving a woman's audience and female creators. And, you know, we just had to go and make a concerted effort to bring them all together. And my idea was really poo-pooed, actually. It was called Cute. And for many reasons, it was not a scalable solution. There were billions and billions of videos at the time. And going backwards into the library was like not an option. But it dawned on me that this was an idea. And I put it in my back pocket. And I was thinking, one day I'm going to start a YouTube for women without the trolls, where all these female creators can be monetized. We'll jack the price up because women, we're worth more. We're smarter. We're better. We're more awesome. People should pay more for our stuff. This was always like my guiding principle in anything we do because we just do it better. And so um, I put that back in my, the, put the idea in my back pocket and I decided to do it for my first startup, which failed. And here we are. So let's talk about <laughs> yeah. the failure part because that yeah. was probably a tough moment. At what point were you, did you say, okay, I'm going to stop this versus if I just keep going? You know, I think sometimes in our company, right? We've gotten into trouble maybe because we just keep going down a road that just never will yield fruit, but yeah. we like refuse to give up. So Ugh, what so hard. What made you go, okay, this is not gonna work? So the company was called V Proud. The V stands for video, winky winky. <laughs> and it was a video-based conversation platform for women. And I had spent too much of my own money. There's nothing like more scary than an entrepreneur who has their own money with, and I was like a dog with a bone with this idea because I was so horrified by what I was seeing on YouTube with these female creators that I was like, I am making this no matter what. Right. So I did no due diligence on whether anybody else would want the software right. or this product. I wanted it. So when I knew that um, we were running out of money, we were actually out of money. I just kept putting money back into the company, but we were at a moment where I was like, I am not putting any more of my own money into this company because it's it's not working. Like right. we don't have customers. We have a technology that was so overbuilt that it was ridiculous and we were running out of money. So as a Hail Mary to save the company and to make payroll, we did a crowdfunding campaign. We did a Kickstarter and that's how we discovered, that's how I discovered iFundWomen, wow. frankly. So we were running out of money. We put the Kickstarter up. I was like so arrogant about it. I was like, how hard could this crowdfunding thing be? I had done no due diligence at all on crowdfunding. It was a desperate move. And I think back then, and still a little bit to this day, crowdfunding is seen as, you know, charity or you're, you know, you're desperate for cash. You can't get funded. 
either that or you're an original creative project and you're got into Kickstarter and you're cool. There's like really no middle ground. Mm -hmm. And when we put up the Kickstarter, so we got into Kickstarter, which, you know, makes you feel super cool because people get rejected. And it was Sarah Summers was my co-founder at the time and Kate Anderson. So the three of us were at V Proud together and pivoted and built iPhone Women. But I'll never forget when we put up the crowdfunding campaign the first day, I'm sitting in the office with Sarah and I'm like refreshing, refresh, refresh. And there was no, there were no That's backers. And I look at Sarah and I say, where are the magical money elves? Right. And she looks at me, she's like, mm. like shrugs her <laughs> shoulders and like goes back to work. And I was like, oh shit, this is going to be hard. Like I thought we had a great video. I'm popular and cool. I have a lot of friends. I'm like, how does this thing work? Like, what's the deal? So I called up my mom, uh, which I'm sure you can probably relate to because I listened to the one with you and your mom who I'm obsessed with. She's so great. <laughs> She's pretty great. She's pretty great. So I called my mom. I'm like, Nance, you got to go buy the t-shirt from our Kickstarter. And she's like, okay, I'll do it. She hung up and like two hours later, she finally figured it out. She calls me back. She's like, okay, I did it. And I also told your Aunt Marjorie and your cousin Janet to do it. And it was then when it dawned on me, I was like, oh, this is just sales. Right. Literally crowdfunding is when you are selling something to people who wants to buy it. It doesn't matter if it has anything to do with your business. You are monetizing for 30 days straight, you're selling whatever you can. Mm -hmm. We panhandled. So it was the summer that Hamilton opened. So we were like, okay, where are the rich feminists? How can we go and get money for this campaign? So we printed up postcards. We went to the Wednesday matinee. It was brutally hot. It was the middle of the summer. And Sarah and I were passing out postcards and talking about our project on Kickstarter, thinking that like we were going to get contributions like in the line at Hamilton. And what was so interesting was the people that were in line for Hamilton were definitely rich, liberal feminists from the bubble who you would think would know what Kickstarter was. Nine times out of 10, the people were like, what's Kickstarter? Right. And we were shocked. Hi, guys. I hate to interrupt this episode, but I have to do an ad and it's for myself. I love doing this podcast. I love interviewing these women. So what I'm asking you to do is support me. If you are in the market for a beautiful bag or some wonderful apparel or shoes, buy Rebecca Minkoff. And if you need to buy a gift for someone, think of me. It always helps. It keeps the business going. And I would love to see you wearing your beautiful Rebecca Minkoff products. You can hashtag MyRM and thank you for the support. So sometimes taking that risk yields new opportunity that you didn't even know was possible, which is your company now. Yeah. I mean, we just truly did not have, we had no options for funding. Right. The funding was coming from my bank account and our credit cards. Right. So when we did this Hail Mary crowdfunding campaign afterwards, we were like, wait a minute, why isn't everybody talking about crowdfunding as the first thing you should do right. to prove demand for what you're doing before you waste your life and your own money and 100%, go into debt. 100%. And no one was talking about that. I started voraciously, like, of course, Googling, where are the crowdfunding platforms for women? Where are the ones that teach you how to do it? We'll make your video for you. We'll guide you. Where's the community of female entrepreneurs? And this is before all this amazing stuff has been happening, you know, yep. in our worlds that we're so used to now. This was years ago. So we looked at each other and we said, we had one developer, Shilpa. Shout out to Shilpa, who's amazing. She's got married. She's out in San Jose now. And um, I said, guys, like, we're, this, we're building it. It doesn't exist. We're pivoting. So what's been the hardest part 
and it doesn't have to be your current journey, but like what has been one of the hardest things that has stuck out to you in your long career? Oh, man. The hardest thing that I wrestle with is my anger against the white patriarchy. Okay. In general, in my life. Okay. That's That's my Achilles heel. And as I get older and as women are speaking up in the workplace, you know, in their own households, and as are, you know, the issues around abuse, physical, verbal harassment, all the shit that we put up with on the daily. Yep. Now that this has become more visible, I feel like it's therapeutic for me and probably for all of us who've experienced all of these things. So I think that's been like the biggest barrier for me in my life is this anger right. that lives within me because of my own personal experiences, like some when I was a child um, that I'm not quite ready to talk about publicly, but I've gone through a lot of shit. Right. Um, as I'm sure many, many of your listeners have, one in three women have been physically abused in their life, one in three women globally. So, you know, you carry stuff that happens to you when you're a kid, you carry stuff that happens to you when you're a young woman with you, and it manifests in all different ways. So for someone that has chosen feminism as a career, the big thing I wrestle with is my complete and total hatred for the white patriarchy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you are a white man, watch out. No, you no, know I'm what? Kidding, it's so I'm interesting. Kidding. Like the, Sally Krawcheck has the best line, and I'm not going to steal her line. I'm going to give her credit for it. She says, I love white men. I was married to two of them, <laughs> which is like, I can totally relate to that. Like there are so many great men who are feminists and, you know, on the right side of the law and didn't right. have never done anything wrong. And like, I know them and love them. And half of the, like half of our investors for iFund Women are these amazing men right. who believe believe in the mission and believe that women should get equal access to capital. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I'm starting to focus more on all the great people that are helping us grow versus and trying to let go. I also have a great new therapist. Cheers to them. Which is like really life-changing, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I had I didn't realize like how much of a difference a great therapist could make versus kind of like of just a mediocre therapist. I yeah. didn't realize. I mean, talking and someone listening to you is pretty therapeutic. So if you have a good listener, sometimes it's great. Yeah. So I have two questions before we wrap up. Yeah. This went by fast. I know. I was going to, I always ask everyone, what is something we'd be surprised to know? You selling porn words surprised me. Um, <laughs> I'm but- glad that surprised you. <laughs> the people that know me, they're like, whatever we know. <laughs> so is there anything else that we'd be surprised to know about you? I come off as a very confident baller, boss bitch kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I'm really actually like very sweet and sensitive and I love to cook for people. I'm, I'm I'm also like a really traditional kind of like woman. I want a man to take care of me. I want to cook dinner for my man and my family at night. I want to keep a nice household. I love a holiday. I love, you know, I'm a Jew who has Christmas trees just because I love twinkly lights. Yeah. People Hanukkah, don't know that Hanukkah about me. Miss. It's like a Hanukkah bush, but really they're holiday trees. Yes. And they're f- small and fake. And I have them hidden inside my house because my parents are unhappy that I have these. <laughs> but I think this year, Nance and George, if you're listening, I'm going big and I'm going real. Okay. Let let that Christmas tree out. I'm letting out my freak flag fly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So last, any invaluable advice that you've been given or want to give? Yes. Talk to your friends about how much you make. Ask them how much they make. I think that right now we're seeing it's a time for women 
that we are negotiating more. We're asking for what we're worth. We're now feeling the confidence to do it, but we also need the data. So we're big into salary transparency at iFundWomen. Everybody knows what everybody else makes and why. And I talk about it all the time. In fact, when I was at Girl Boss uh, Rally a couple of months ago, they had this wall and you could write down what your name is and how much you make. And I wrote it down. I'm Karen Kahn. I'm the founder and CEO of iFundWomen and I make $75,000 a year. And P.S., this year was the first year I took a salary in the five years that I've been an entrepreneur. Wow. So that's the other piece of advice that I would give any entrepreneurs. Pay yourself from day one, because if you do not value your time, your potential investors will not value your time. Your team won't value your time. That's true. That's like, I I really missed the boat on that one. Yep. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. To find out more about what she's up to, you can follow her at iFundWomen. And if you need to raise some money and you're getting turned down by some of these VCs, go to iFundWomen and start crowdfunding today. Today's review is by Cynthia Sundance, uplifting How I Did It stories. If you love How I Did It stories of women launching companies, you must listen to Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. Rebecca is a super interviewer and her guests, CEOs, startup founders, entrepreneurs, and creatives are super women in every sense. These women are inspiring because they've overcome both expected and unexpected obstacles to build the brands and businesses they lead. Rebecca's interviewing style makes you feel like you're sitting right there. I feel like I'm part of the conversation because Rebecca asked the questions you'd ask these fabulous women if you were there. There's so much more I want to read of this review. It really made my day, but I'm going to spare you guys. But if you want to go to Apple, make your own review, rate me, and uh, tell everyone what you think. Thank you.